Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Bussman. About a year and a half ago, I was more than 30 pounds overweight and felt I needed to make some big changes. That's when I decided to get healthy by changing my diet and entering Spartan obstacle races. Just before I began, I had a conversation with Shannon Lee. Shannon is president of the Bruce Lee Foundation, and she passes on the philosophy of our iconic dad in a way that is helpful to us all. The conversation was about how to find the way through obstacles. Our talk was a gift that guided me over walls, through mud, and over fire during the Spartan Sprint, the Super, and the Beast. I'm a lot lighter and healthier for it. Now I'm about to take on a new and very different challenge, one that's certain to be an obstacle course in its own way. As you'll hear during this podcast, I gotta step up and learn how to be a CEO. Tell you why. The head of a sales team recently posed a question to me. When Apple wanted to release a product years ago, he asked, who was on stage selling it? Well, nobody's ever gonna confuse me with Steve Jobs, but I've gotta at least move in that direction and tell everybody about the storytelling workshops I've been offering companies. I was trained as a writer in journalism school never to go to the sales side, but that was a long time ago, and the world is a different place. I've gotta evolve. And I know there are a lot of companies that can use this workshop because they've been reaching out to me and I've seen how helpful they can be. I just haven't been out selling those workshops the way Steve Jobs would. And that's why I sought out Shannon Lee for this week's episode, because her dad's entire life spoke to evolution. And in this day and age, we can all use Bruce's thoughts in our own ways. I get so many emails from people, a lot of them very successful, trying, even struggling to get to a new place. Bruce Lee was born in the United States, but he grew up in Hong Kong as a child actor in a well-to-do family. It was a gang culture in his neighborhood though, and after getting beat up some, he took up a martial art known as Wing Chun and got good at it. When he became involved in rooftop fighting, things got a little dangerous, and his parents sent him back to the United States. He began to teach his art, but he was constantly taking himself to new ground. He created his own form of Kung Fu and taught anybody with good intentions who came to learn. This angered a lot of other Chinese martial artists who didn't want him spreading what he knew outside of the Asian community. And he got into a famous fight with another master to defend the right to teach the way he wanted. Bruce won. Word about Bruce spread. He got into television. I first saw him when I was a kid on The Green Hornet. And then in movies like Fist of Fury and Enter the Dragon. There are always lines to get into the theater when a Bruce Lee movie came out. These films changed the way America looked at Chinese men. They also opened the door to developments in everything from mixed martial arts to film to breakdancing to bodybuilding and nutrition. Sadly, Bruce Lee passed away in his prime after suffering headaches and cerebral edema 
At the age of 32, Shannon was only four at the time. But Bruce's philosophy left a huge impact, one that Shannon has come to study and pass on to this day. Anytime you're about to go to someplace new, it's good to take along a little wisdom from Bruce Lee. How about this? To change with change is the changeless state. Oh man, I love that. Allows you to be someone new and more you at the same time. So we're going to see where Bruce Lee takes me and you through this conversation with his daughter, Shannon. But before we get to it, let me tell you about the companies that sponsor this podcast. Sportsheek, which makes the softest hoodies, sweatpants, and comfy tees you can imagine. I was talking to a friend who recently found out she had cancer and needed to go through surgery and chemotherapy. My first thought was, we're going to get you some Sportique sweats and a hoodie. That will be your battle armor. Because as she goes through those uncomfortable moments, she is going to be the most comfortable she can be in those threads. How do I know? I've talked to a cancer survivor who went through chemo in his Sportique sweats. They were like his comfort blanket. There's something about Sportique threads that make you feel confident. That's why I wear my hoodie, comfy tee, and sweats when I do these intros. Try them for yourself and see what I'm talking about. Go to Sportique.com and use the offer code CAL for a 20% discount. That's S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com. This is a great company, and I'm really proud to introduce you to it. And WeWork. WeWork is perfect for me because it provides me with meeting space near my home. And not only that, but my global access pass allows me to book space wherever I go. If you need space the size of a phone booth, WeWork has got it. Looking for a communal table where you can meet some smart and interesting people? WeWork's got it. You need a room, conference room, podcast setup, theater space. Whatever kind of space you need, WeWork has got it. But it's more than the space. It's the people who work there. I stopped in at the WeWork in Colony Square in Atlanta, and Tammy made me feel so at home, I got to give her a shout out. In LA, there's a wonderful agent named BMO at the Constellation office. And whatever you need on the 23rd floor, I guarantee you, Lupe has got it covered. They do great hiring at WeWork. These are some of the friendliest and accommodating people you're ever going to meet. They say that WeWork is where company meets community, but it sure feels like home to me. So check it out at www.we.co slash cal and get a 20% discount. As you can tell, I only try to put you in touch with a product or company or person that will improve your life. So here is Shannon Lee. We're here. (laughs) We are. And the last time that I saw you Mm -hmm. was in Lake Tahoe, Mm -hmm. right before Spartan Race. 
and you gave me some great philosophical advice that helped get me through a Spartan sprint, Spartan super, and a Spartan beast. Oh my gosh, you did all of them? did all of them last year. Yeah, and the the last one put me through the mud for miles. (laughs) (laughs) But you were with me, your dad was with me, and uh, you both got me through it. (laughs) Excellent. So I've been thinking about that and what it took to lose 30 pounds and Mm. get through those races. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going on new adventures. So Mm. it felt like the right time to get an energy boost from you. (laughs) Get a little bit more advice tune up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because this is about evolution. Yes. And on our way up, to the room, you were telling me that you are evolving. And I know that that was what your dad was all about. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, there's a line on like a inscribed in a book mm-hmm. outside your dad's uh, gravestone or mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. yes. uh, says that uh, your inspiration continues to guide us through our personal liberation. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> Some personal liberation. Personal liberation <laughs> that you're going to channel okay. at Evolution. Great. Let's <laughs> do it. For both of us, it sounds like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what was it about your dad that you think helped him or pushed him to keep evolving? Gosh, you know, I think it was in part innate to him. He was a very naturally curious person, and he loved to learn. My mom always said she never has met anyone in her life who was more self-educated than he was. He had, and I have them in my archive, he had thousands of books that he read on all manner of subjects, um, and he was really interested in people and uh, connecting with people. And he was really interested in his own experience and, and where and how he could push the boundaries of that. And, you know, when he was 21, we have this letter that he wrote to a family friend uh, named Pearl Cho, where he describes this feeling that he has inside, this untapped power that he can sense and feel in his body. And uh, that it's this, he's trying to describe it and he's like, it's this dynamic something that I hold in my hand. And so he was a very in touch with that. And I think he spent his whole life trying to see what he could do with it. That's exactly what I'm looking for. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Wow. When you think about it, to have that feeling about yourself at Mm. at that age, Mm -hmm. know that it's inside you, Mm -hmm. but not know exactly how it's going to come out. Mm -hmm. Or I don't know, maybe he did know, because... Uh, from what I do know about your dad, he was a, like a great cha-cha dancer when yep. he was young. He was the cha-cha champion of Hong Kong. And <laughs> did he have an idea of which way his life was going? I think for a moment he thought, you know, because as a child he was in about 20 films. So he was a child actor and he loved 
Kung Fu, and he studied Wing Chun Kung Fu with Yip Man um, from the age of 13 to 18. And he, as you say, was the, he was the crown colonies champion of Hong Kong at the age of 18. And, um, you know, he was obviously very physical. He was very interested in, um, doing everything that he did well. He, he has said that one of the driving things in his life from the time of when he was young was the idea of quality that he, anything he undertook, he wanted to undertake um, with a sense of quality, wanting to have it be a quality thing. Even his handwriting is beautiful. His signature is beautiful. You know, like when he learned to speak English, he wanted to really learn how to speak it colloquially and be able to tell jokes and all that kind of stuff. So, but as a youngster, he loved acting. He loved martial arts. He was also the intramural Western boxing champion at his high school. He loved cha-cha. And I think he probably thought that his trajectory at that time was probably going to have something to do with acting. You know, he had this passion and drive for martial arts as well. But what ended up happening is when he was a teenager, he had quite of a fire in him, as you can imagine, and he had a temper and he was, you know, always sort of like uh, wanting to know things like what, what is glory and victory and why do I want it? And I want to prove myself. And the only way he could think to prove himself was through challenging people and having fights. And he had these um, rooftop, illegal rooftop matches that he got involved in. And there were that, you know, put him in touch with a bad element with like the triads and gang element in Hong Kong and the police and all of this. And so at the age of 18, there was sort of a, a, a pretty serious altercation where someone was injured and his parents said, enough. Um, you need to leave. And they were pretty well-to-do. <laughs> His dad was like he, a, a singer. He was a he was a comedian in the Chinese opera, and he was an actor. So, oh, okay. When I heard yeah. opera, I thought he sang. Um, no, not really. Um, and and he, my father and him did movies together. And actually, right before this, my father just finished his first major starring role in a film called The Orphan, and which was actually submitted to the Venice Film Festival and all of that. But then he had to get out of town. <laughs> People were angry. and Yeah. And, you know, he had been born in the United States. So if he wanted to claim his U.S. citizenship, he had to return before he turned 19. So there was perfect timing. That was the perfect place to send him. He was in a lot of trouble. He was never really that engaged in school. Um, Self learner, not yeah. engaged in school. That makes sense. <laughs> no, it does make yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think he came around to the value of education somewhat because when he came to the United States, he did get his GED and he did enroll in the University of Washington, but he didn't graduate. Because he had things to do. The, the thing about him was he was a doer, which is um, a, a, a part of his real beauty and message. So did he start like experiment with vitamins, eating different kinds of food? We were laughing on the way up yeah. uh, because uh, I, I had seen in a documentary, I think, well, you were in it, <laughs> uh, where at, at one point, he would take raw meat 
and milk and eggs and a bunch of other things and throw them in a blender, Mm -hmm. blend it up and just take it right down. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the people describing it, it was pretty funny to watch their faces. <laughs> but it, it maybe that gets back to the curiosity. Yes. I think my father was, as I said, like completely curious, completely into learning new things. And he was a self-experimenter, you know, like he experimented um, with his experience and he got into all of that health and fitness stuff um, really strongly after he had that challenge match in Oakland. I don't know if you... Yeah, I, I know the, the detail. Well, I don't know it's the specific details, mm-hmm. but uh, the idea behind it was he had a, a school, martial arts school, and he was teaching everybody. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so yeah, there it, were people mad. <laughs> It was sort of the San Francisco, Chinatown, old guard, the traditionalists. My father's school was in Oakland, where it was, and he was part of a more non-traditional crowd. And he did teach people of all backgrounds and races and genders and ethnicities and all that. And they didn't like that. He was also talking about ways to change some of the martial arts techniques that he was doing, which you would never do. I mean, you're not the, you know. Sacrilege. Sacrilege. It's been around thousands of years. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so they were mad about that also. And they sent um, a challenge, issued a challenge to him. And they brought over their champion and they fought in my father's school. And my father won. But in about three minutes, my mom was there. Your mom was there. Yeah. My mom was there. Because there's different reports. I guess after it happened, yeah. people didn't, there were people who didn't want that outcome to be announced that way. Yeah. And they put out their own stories. Yes. There have been other people's stories, even to this day, that continue to be put out about saying, oh, that's not really what happened. But my mom was there. She was like eight months pregnant with my brother at the time. And, you know, she's described the fight in detail to me. And um, the thing of it was that they started off and and first they wanted to have all these rules, you know, like, oh, no punching to the eye, no this, no that. And my father said, no, we're fighting for real for something that really matters. There's no rules. It's just if you give up or you get knocked out, then it's over. And so he came out of the gate immediately. And um, I think pretty quickly, the other guy was like, oh, this guy's good and he's out to get me. And he started to go backwards. And so, and then my father was coming and coming at him. And then um, he took off and started running. And my father had to chase him. And they were like running around like a sort of like a Three Stooges act, like running around the room. Oh, <laughs> my father's trying to like punch him in the back, like trying to get him to, to stop. And he finally, um, the guy actually uh, tripped a little bit. And so my father's able to get a hold of him and get on top of him and was punching him. And then finally the guy said, I give up. And the interesting thing about all this is that afterwards, my mom said, everybody left. And um, he was sitting outside of the school on the curb and he had his head in his hands. And she was like, what's the matter? Why aren't you happy? You won. (laughs) Eight months pregnant. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he said, um, it didn't, that fight didn't go the way that I thought it was going to go. I had to chase him. It was really tiring. 
my traditional Wing Chun training didn't really prepare me for non-traditional setup and moves and rules. And he realized that he was not in great shape. The only thing that he ever did and what martial arts did at that time, uh, martial artists did at that time was um, train technique. They didn't cross train. They didn't, you know, go jogging or lift weights or do any of that stuff. And so he was in shape. I mean, he was always in good shape, but he was- But now he's sprinting for three minutes. Yeah, right, exactly. And so, um, and so at that moment in time is when he said, I need to change my way, my approach. And he created this little tombstone, little miniature tombstone. He had a friend make it for him. And he had written on it, in memory of a once fluid man crammed and distorted by the classical mess. And that was sort of like his monument to die to his traditional ways and to be reborn into a person who's more fluid and who can change with whatever is presented to him. Now that seems like one of the most unique moments in the world yeah. In history. <laughs> yeah. And, and yet I'm listening to it. And wherever society is going at this point, mm. it, it seems to me everybody may feel a little like that, mm-hmm. where we're just confronted with all this new technology and things we've never seen before, and we have to change. Yeah. And... That's why I wanted to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. Well, change is ever present, but also, as you as you say, like the world is changing so quickly. And and my father had a quote about change, which is to change with change is the changeless state. That's deep. <laughs> That's deep. <laughs> That's exactly the way I should be thinking. Yeah. And probably we all should be thinking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's very in line with his idea about being like water, right? And this idea that we just talked about of fluidity. Like, you know, the stream is running all the time. It's going by all different things all the time. It's encountering all different, you know, rocks, boulders, trees, logs, whatever, and having to change course and and reshape itself all the time. And so, and so must we. Well, there's that famous interview where he describes the power of water and ends, Mm. be like water. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When did that occur to him? So this is um, a crazy story. So he came up with that phrase, like that, those exact sort of philosophical way of explaining it in his 20s, but he really discovered the nature of water when he was 17. <laughs> All right. How did that happen? So he was, um, as I said, he studied Wing Chun Kung Fu with Yip Man in uh, Hong Kong as a teenager. And he had this temper and he was always trying to win, 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 win. And his Sifu, a teacher was saying to him, stop trying to assert yourself against your opponent. You need to flow with your opponent. You need to 
dance with your opponent. You know, you need to um, move with the moves in order to find the moments of ingress where you can get in there. And um, he kept trying to relax a little bit more. And he kept thinking like, I must relax, I must relax. And then, and then he had this thought like, well, even just in saying I must relax, I'm already contradicting the idea of relaxing. Anyway, he kept trying and trying and, and failing. <laughs> and finally, his Sifu got really mad at him and he said, stop, just stop. And go home and don't come back for a week. No training, just think about it. And he was like really upset, you know, because he loved martial arts. He did not want to not train. He was just kicked out for a week. And, and, um, and so he left. And during that time, he went and he got a boat and he went out into Hong Kong Harbor. Um, and he was thinking, trying to think about what did he mean and, and trying to, and he was getting really mad at himself. Like, why can't I understand this? Why can't I figure this out? And beating himself up. And finally, he started punching the water. And the reason we know this oh. is he wrote an essay about it, but. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So he started punching the water with all his might. And all of a sudden, he just, he just got it. And he said, oh. I'm supposed to be like this water. When I punch this water, it moves out of the way of my fist. And when I try to grasp it, it runs through my fingers. And it seems like this really soft and sort of weak thing, but water can wear down rocks. It can be tsunami. It can be, you know, the most powerful thing and the softest thing at the same time. And then he was like, I'm supposed to be like the nature of water. That's what my professor is trying to say to me. Now I know where that comes from. Wow. And of course he refined that and refined that over time to get to the whole explanation of it. You can see everything coming together, being a child actor, mm -hmm. and then understanding that about water, and then in the interview where he says it, mm -hmm. it is so theatrical. Yes, yes. That you are living it. It's like you're right, <laughs> you're watching something that happened years and years ago through a screen, and you feel like you're at the table with him. Yeah. Well, I really think that was his gift, is that he cultivated his energy where it was palpable. Like even through the screen, like when you watch him in his movies, you're like mesmerized by him. And when you see him speak, he's not just speaking, he's feeling it. And because he's feeling it, you're feeling it, you know? And, um, and I really think that was his gift. Like he talked all the time about cultivating himself, himself, his essence, his energy, and expressing it out in the world. So no matter what he was doing, mm -hmm. he was always pushing it to something new. Yes. So because I know that he got into like television because I when I was a kid, mm -hmm. I used to watch the Green Hornet. <laughs> yes. And I remember how special and unique that was. We'd never seen anything like it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I was a teenager 
during the whole, everybody is kung fu fighting. <laughs> right. And when his movies came out, mm-hmm. everybody just like metal filings to a magnet yeah. went to that theater. Yeah. And it, he was really mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. And what I'm wondering is the things that he had to constantly push forward on, mm-hmm. because I understand that he would like negotiate his own contracts. Mm-hmm. He would write the scripts. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would help direct. I mean, all these things maybe he saw happening in his childhood, but he then took them on. Mm-hmm. And that was just his character. Well, I'm curious about that, so yeah. I'm going to learn it, and I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think one of the things that he had in spades, which is something that I've been trying to develop in my life and I'm getting better and better at, is confidence. He believed in himself. And not just like, oh, I'm confident, but what he really described as faith. Like, it was a faith in himself, and a trust that his ideas were meaningful, that his actions were toward something meaningful. And I think that sometimes that's really hard as a, as a human because we are seeking validation all the time for, am I doing this right? Do people like it? Am I making a good impression? You know, And he didn't really concern himself too much with all that. And so he had this real belief and faith in himself, which gave him permission to tackle whatever he set his mind to. You know, there's that story. It's a a great story, and it kind of sums it up, where when he was Cato on the Green Hornet, I Mm -hmm. guess he was dressed in his chauffeur costume. Mm -hmm. And during the off time, he's out uh, on the sidewalk and somebody in charge, well, maybe not in charge of that production because they would have recognized him, but somebody who didn't recognize him mm. saw him like a valet right? and came over and, and said, hey, boy, can you get my car? And somebody says, so like, don't you understand? That's, the, that's one of the stars. That's Cato. <laughs> yeah. And later somebody asked him, did that bother you? Mm-hmm. And he says... If it did bother me, then I wouldn't be Bruce Lee. Mm -hmm. It was almost like he was impervious to it. Yeah, but also not impervious, just impervious, but also, so he was very centered and assured of himself. Um, But he also had real understanding about humans and where he was in time and where he was in place, you know, and he understood that, There were prejudices and there were even just lenses that people view the world through and that those were their limitations. And he didn't think poorly of people because of that. He just saw them as limited. Uh, He understood. Yeah. And even because we have actually an interview that he sat for in 1971 where, you know, at one point in time he was supposed to star in uh, in a TV show um, after the Green Hornet went off air and he was going to be the lead and he didn't get that part because the studio said, I'm sorry, but we can't have a Chinese man be the lead of a U.S. show. The audience just, just won't go for it. 
And the interviewer asks him about that. And he said, you know, do you ever encounter things like prejudice and racism in Hollywood? And has that affected you? And he said, well, yes, such things do exist. And that's why this TV show is not going to happen. And he said, and, you know, I understand. If I'm the guy with the money, I understand the concern. But it doesn't matter because... I still have my goal. I'm, I still am doing what I'm doing, and that's not going to stop me. So he was on <laughs> his own path. You yes. know, that's a really important thing. Yes, yes. It's interesting. I had uh, Simon Sinek, the writer, on mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how often we identify ourselves by our job. Mm. Like I might have said a few years back, Hi, my name's Cal Fussman. I have a column in Esquire called What I've Learned. Mm -hmm. And he said, that's not who you are. Right. You're somebody who asks questions, gets to the heart, mind, and soul of people. Mm -hmm. And that's much bigger than a job. Mm -hmm. And I, I think in this time, that's really important for people to know. Yeah. Because jobs can come and go, artificial intelligence is coming. <laughs> but who we are is mm. much bigger than the place that we're in or that employs us. Yes. And like having that confidence and that self-assurance, mm-hmm. that's the key. That's the key, yeah. It really is. And that's the, one of the things that I'm working on for myself because that just sense of real groundedness and centeredness no matter where I am no matter what's going on you know that and to and to have developed that faith in self and also as you say like one of the things that I've been talking about recently to friends and to uh, people that uh, I work with is that there's no like personal and professional there's just me and I want to be able to show up as me wherever I am And so that I'm not putting on my professional hat when I'm in my office and dealing with people and that that is somehow different than how I am when I'm at home or with my daughter or, I mean, yes, of course, you, you know, I don't roll into the office like in my sweatpants with my, you know, like in, 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 but that's the environment. We're going to get you a pair of Sportique sweatpants and you may roll into the office wearing them. I have to say sweatpants are my favorite. Oh, wait wait till you feel these. Wait till you feel your Sportique sweatpants. They're going to be coming your way. All right. We had two gigantic boxes filled with them that I was going to give the guests and then they get robbed in Venice. Oh no. But don't worry. They're on their way. (laughs) All right. Sign me up. (laughs) Okay. So you have taken on the role of expanding your dad's legacy or protecting your dad's legacy. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of both. <laughs> Guardian, guardianess of the of the legacy, mm-hmm. and is that something that you will do for the rest of your life, and or are you evolving to something new? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I, on the one hand, am always going to be attached to the legacy because I am actually his child, so I am the legacy also. 
And the reason that I got involved in my father's legacy is specifically to be able to have conversations like this because his philosophy is meaningful to me in my life. It has helped me innumerably in my life. And it has helped many people around the world who have encountered it. And he's not really known for his writings and his thoughts. As he did a lot of writing. A lot of writing. I mean, hundreds of pages of writing and, and on martial arts for sure, but also just on life and how to be. And he actually coined the term artist of life, that that, that was his goal. Wow. Yeah, that that was his goal, to be an artist of life. And so, I mean, I'm sort of like, yeah, I like that goal. <laughs> so where do you want to take it? Where do I want to take it? I mean, this is, a, a, as we say, we're in a state of evolution. So first of all, it's my honor to be able to carry this message because it's not, it, it's obviously tied to him, but it's universal and it's helpful. And and for, for me to spread that message gives me energy also. And I'm a student of that message also. Does the fact that he passed away when you were very young mm. make you really curious mm. about him? Because you, how old were you? I was four. Four years old. Mm -hmm. So I imagine you have some memory, or is it like, like many people will see a photo Mm -hmm. And and the photo becomes a memory. Right, right. Yeah, well, I'm pretty clear about what is my memory and what is not. And, you know, at the age of four, your memories are really kind of just forming, the ones that you can hold on to. And they're really like glimpses. And so for me, like the visual memories of him, th those types, are, are really just sort of like brief flashes. And there are not many of them. But I'll tell you, the memory that I have that is the most meaningful to me and which it took me a long time to realize was a memory was that all my life growing up, I kept thinking like, why do I feel like I know him? I feel like I know him so well, like so intimately almost. Like uh, if you asked me, what would he think about this? I almost feel like I could say that I know what he would think about this you know, depending on the subject, of course. But, and I thought, that's crazy. Like, I'm crazy. I've lost my mind. And then I realized that I do know him because what my memory is of him is what he felt like, what his energy felt like, what his attention felt like, what his love felt like, what his engagement with me felt like. And that was a much stronger impression on me than words or visuals at that age. I realized this was a memory after speaking with somebody else who had lost their parent at a really young age. And, and I was saying, like, it's so crazy. Like, I know what he felt like. Like, I, I know who he was as an essence. And this person I was talking to said, oh, yeah, me too. That's, I have that memory too. And all of a sudden I went, oh. That's my memory of him. So it's not so much a visual <laughs> yeah, no. image. It's something it's like, a sense. It's like it's water. A it's like yeah. it goes through your fingers. But think about it, right? Like we were just talking about how when you see him on screen, you feel, 
right? right? His energy, like, come at you. Like, I have that directed at me in a really intimate, loving way for four years. And so I remember what that feels like. And so it it's very comforting to me. And it made me realize really the value of those first four years of my life because it helped make me feel sort of safe and loved internally in a way that was just set up by him and of course by my mother as well. But, you know, I had her my whole life. And in a way, it also helps keep him really pure. Because then, like, we never had those fights when I was a teenager, right? Where I was like, Dad, oh. you're being such a jerk, you know? I, I don't know if fighting with Bruce Lee would be a good idea. This is true. <laughs> Disagreements. That would have been, been interesting. How do you yeah. think he would have responded to you coming at him, not physically, but mm. just with the hormones of a 15 or a 16 year old girl, mm. anybody who's a dad for a long time knows it. How would have he responded, do you think? Well, I would hope <laughs> <laughs> that he would have grown uh, wise and, and even more peaceful and more calm as he aged. <laughs> but I also know he was a very strict parent you know, and he really, he really, he was, you know, also a, a Chinese man. So he was very sort of like direct and strict in, in certain ways and um, had expectation of his children. But he also had this philosophy about being yourself, expressing yourself. So actually, I have no idea how he would have balanced those two things. I know that um, people who knew him, he was bigger than life. And that meant, too, like when he was upset, he was really upset. So um, I'm sure he probably would have been kind of scary. <laughs> oh, man. oh, man. Having Bruce Lee for a dad. I know. Does the love that the world has had and has for your dad, mm -hmm. did that get expressed to you? Because here you, here you oh, are, yeah. you're four, even at like four, five after the passing. How did that come at you? I mean, it's it's a beautiful thing, uh, and it is expressed to me often. It, it's at different levels. There there are people who just think he's awesome and cool, and that at that level, it's just like this uplifting, energetic response of like, "Oh, that's so cool! He's awesome!" Right? Which is a, an awesome thing to receive. And then for people whose lives he's actually affected deeply in some way, it's a much more sort of a heartfelt expression of like, he changed my life. I mean, all I can do is sort of stand there and bear witness, right? Because, but it's beautiful to receive, you know? And then the people who actually knew him and were close to him were so deeply affected by him and so dedicated to him. I mean, uh, Taki Kimura, who, by the way, just had his 95th birthday and wow. is, you know, still going strong up in the Seattle era, area, was his best friend, uh, best man at my parents' wedding, he, uh, first uh, assistant instructor in his first school in Seattle. And to this day, um, he and his students clean up the grave. He still gets teary-eyed when he talks about my father. I mean, he was really touched and moved by him. Grave is in Seattle, right? It is, yeah. 
Yeah. And it, it's, you know, I'm always in relationship with what is it to be Bruce Lee's daughter and how do I hold that in my life? Because there are times when I'm, even though this is completely diametrically opposed to my father's philosophy of self-actualization and actualizing yourself versus an image of yourself, like really understanding your essence and your energy and and cultivating that and not copying some image of what you think success is, right? Um, even though that's his philosophy, I have at times felt uh, like I'm not living up to something. Oh, man. But are, right? you, com- are you comparing? Do you, are you saying, well, I got it. <laughs> the bar is set up at like 28 feet. I got to go over the bar. Do you feel that? I don't feel like I have to go over the bar. Well, and, and I'm just saying like, this is a relationship I've had over time and it shifts and changes. And as I, as I grow older and wiser um, and, and mature more, I don't worry myself so much about it. But at times I've felt like, oh my God, I'm not, I'm not in the kind of peak physical condition that he was in, or I'm not attacking the world the way he attacked the world. I'm not living up to his philosophy even. I'm getting caught in my petty human experience and not cultivating who I am. I'm hiding a little bit. I'm, you know, all of that stuff. And do you, do you not, do you want to push to a new place now? I do. I do. Where do you want to go? I know you've, you've sort of already asked me this question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a work in progress. Um, I think where I want to go is I want to, this is going to sound really nebulous, but I want, I really want to express who Shannon Lee is in the world. And that is a work in progress, but I'm starting to tap into what that is, what my energy signature is, which is uh, definitely one that's a little bit more, it's got an energy to it, but it's a more soothing energy than my father who was, you know, like a steam engine. (laughs) Um, And that I have a desire to be of service. That's that's what I was going to get at. You're you're yeah. here to help people. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And so you're looking for that power that, that pa- he was he describing in that letter that you mentioned that's in right. order to get the teachings out that you want to deliver. Yes, exactly. You just got to write the, that same letter or <laughs> a similar letter. So actually I've just uh, written my first book. It's not out yet. When's it come out? Um, beginning of 2020, I believe. So what's it, stay tuned. What's it titled? Be Water, My Friend. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> oh, man. In, do you know what? I think I'm just going to have to cut the podcast right there because <laughs> it's such a beautiful line. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, and and it's one of my acts of expression and service because it's me offering how to use my father's philosophy in your life, just like we've been talking about. And in particular, through this idea of how to be fluid and express yourself in that way. That's outstanding. I love it. (laughs) I love it. And 
I'm probably going to be the first person to get a copy. <laughs> I will because, send you one. Oh, well, I meant buy a copy, but I'll, <laughs> I'll be happy to receive it. There was so much there mm. for you to reach in and curate and then pass on. It's actually such a wealth of information and knowledge and wisdom that it's hard to put it into a book. And also because it's very circular in the way it all relates back to itself, it's really hard, been really a challenge to try to express it in a way that's receivable and accessible, which is my goal. So you can tell me if I, if I accomplish that. <laughs> I definitely will. <laughs> and so can I ask a question? Sure. So you are also in a place of evolution. Correct. Yeah. So, so what are you evolving into and, and how can I be of service to that? Whoa. <laughs> now we're getting now we're getting there. I knew this was gonna happen. Okay. So when I went to college, mm -hmm. I was a writer. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You just wrote a book. Mm -hmm. And at that point, we were told that in order to do what we loved. We had to basically stay on one side of a wall that had been created. Mm. And the wall was there to put like the salespeople and the advertising people and the marketers on one side. Mm. And the people who were doing the editorial work on another mm. so that things wouldn't get muddy and the writers wouldn't get corrupted. Mm. And I was told, if you cross over that wall mm -hmm. in any way and like try and do the selling or the marketing, you're not going to be trusted hmm. and you just won't be allowed to do this anymore. Hmm. Now, that seems crazy, yeah. but that's, that's how it was like when you were five, six, seven, eight years old uh -huh. and I got out of college. Uh -huh. And what happened is the look on your face says it all. Who would think that? <laughs> right. But the world was a different place. The world was a completely different place. Mm -hmm. The internet changed everything. Mm -hmm. And now if you are creating something mm -hmm. uh, on your own, you have to go out and sell it, let people know about it, just the way your dad did. Yeah, right, yeah. With that force. Mm -hmm. And because of this education I got, it has held me back. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a leash yeah. that I have just cut. Mm -hmm. And I am saying, it's okay. Yeah. Go the same way your dad was able to radiate on a movie screen, why can't I do that? Of course, you can. <laughs> Except I'm not Bruce Lee, it's <laughs> the problem. Well, no, but you're you. That's, that's right. And, and you're great at doing you. And you know who was holding me back? Hmm. Me. You. Yeah. I was the one holding me back. Yeah. And so I am not gonna hold myself back anymore. I've started to do storytelling workshops mm. 
for companies that are having problems, number one, telling their story. Yeah. And two, we're living in this tornado of information mm-hmm. where, check this fact out, of all the information ever created mm-hmm. in, during the course of humanity, 90% of it has been produced in the last two years. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And That's so amazing. think of how hard it is now yeah. to get through that. Right. And there's, in my mind, only one way to get through that tornado, and that's with a story. Right. Because people f- have f- a feeling about a story, you know. And my father also said, don't think, feel. And what, and what he meant by that was multifaceted. But essentially what you want is to cause an emo- emotional connection, like a, a sense connection between you and someone else or your company and someone else, but through your story, Right. That's is exactly what I have to do and mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And I am going to go back, watch all your dad's movies, because that's the way I have to think about selling myself with mm-hmm. that gusto. Mm-hmm. And just how you were saying before, if you're going to do it, you do it at the highest level. Right. I can't allow myself to hold myself back. I got to free myself to do it at the highest level. Yeah. And so this it's taken me a long time to get to this place. Yep. And I'm almost this is like the start mm-hmm. of this journey for me. Great. But I'm doing it. I've already a few companies have already brought me in to help them tell their stories and uh, to have workshops that show everybody how they can tell their own stories. Mm-hmm. And I'm now, well, I'm here and I'm talking about it with you. (laughs) You are. You're putting it out there. I'm putting it out there, which holds me accountable. Yeah, yeah. So it's it really resonated me when I thought of how the guidance you gave me for before I undertook those Spartan races. Mm -hmm. I was looking for a little of that today. (laughs) Yeah, I hope you got it. At least a little of it. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're having your break with tradition moment, right? Oh, man. Right? There it is. Yeah. There it is. The confines and the constraints of tradition, like what you were, how you were taught and raised, <sighs> right? Oh, I had my Bruce Lee moment. <laughs> you did. Yeah. And now I'm free to create in a new way. Right, and also you're free now that you've thrown this off to do it in any way that you want, right? You, you, to, to make up what that way is, to create that way. Because sometimes when we, when we let go of an old way, we just pick up a new way that somebody else has said, oh, don't do this, do this, this works, which is great. And that might work for a while, but we always have to sort of be in very present and really come from a deep place of knowing 
what our natural instinct is and being able to sort of create in the moment. My father's big like philosophical tenet that he associated with his art and with his life was using no way as way, having no limitation as limitation. And the using no way as way part is not, I don't use any way, but I'm open to all ways. I'm able to move and be fluid in any way, in any direction I need to toward the accomplishing of this thing that I want to do. And so you're breaking with tradition and you are getting to a place now where you get to choose and create exactly how that happens based on the energy within yourself driving you in that direction. You know, as you were saying that, I could almost visualize your dad there with a smile on his face, <laughs> shaking his head. You got it, Shannon. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to wish you the best on your own journey. Thank you. Because I know that you can help a lot of people, guide a lot of people, mm-hmm. because you've guided me. So thank you. And January 2020, the book comes out? We don't have an exact date, but I'm going to say it's going to be right around there. Okay. (laughs) I can't wait. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. This has been wonderful. I always enjoy talking to you. I hope I get to do it more and more. Let's make sure that happens. (laughs) We'll follow each other's journeys. All right. Perfect. All All right. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. That about wraps it up. want to thank Tim Ferriss, the man who started all this evolution for me when he nudged me to do this podcast. So grateful, Tim. You changed my life. Now that I'm trying to think like CEO, let me tell you how to get in touch with me if your company or a company you know needs help with its storytelling. Email me through Squarespace and I'll get right back to you. I'm here to help through workshops or straight up consulting. Thanks again to WeWork. Remember, you can get a 20% discount on Office Space by going to www.we.co slash cal. And much gratitude to my friends at Sportique. You can find the softest hoodies, comfy tees, and sweatpants at sportique.com. That's S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com. And get a 20% discount by using the offer code CAL. And please, send a photo of where you listen to Big Questions. Always makes my day. Until next week, cheers! Cheers!